0: Good morning, everyone. The hearing of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee will now come to order. Um, Thank you for um, the participation of our witnesses in this important hearing. We are um, going to be in the middle of votes throughout the hearing, um, but in the interest of of your time, we're going to try to work through this uh, hearing, and uh, Senator Romney and I and Senator Schatz will um, go back and forth to votes. Um, we'll have other colleagues joining us over the course of the morning. Um, today we are considering four nominations, Caroline Kennedy to be ambassador to the Commonwealth of Australia, Philip Goldberg to be ambassador to the Republic of Korea, Mary Kay Carlson to be ambassador to the Republic of the Philippines, and Mark Nathanson to be ambassador to the Kingdom of Norway. Let me uh, again by uh, begin by welcoming uh, our nominees and your families. We are thankful for your willingness to serve. I'm going to give some brief opening remarks, hand it over to Senator Romney, we've got a few of our colleagues to help us with introductions. Um, if confirmed, you are all going to uh, take your oath of office at a critical point in world history. Just this week, we have seen the horrific images from Ukraine. Um, we have seen a country turn into a crime scene where there is irrefutable evidence of brutality against civilians by... Russia's forces. These actions demand accountability, both for the soldiers who perpetrated these atrocities and the officials in the Kremlin who ordered them. We have seen countries from around the world step up to impose unprecedented costs on Russia for its unjustified and unprovoked war of aggression on Ukraine. Last month, each of the four countries we are here to talk about today joined an overwhelming majority of the world at the UN General Assembly in condemning the Russian invasion, and supporting greater humanitarian access in Ukraine. We know that maintaining that unity amongst allies and partners will be crucial. Ambassador Kennedy, let me begin by thanking you for your continued service to this country. And let me say a few words about Australia, one of our most important partners in the Indo-Pacific. The recently announced AUKUS Security Pact, uh, of which I am a great champion, takes our bilateral partnership to a new level, and will further advance the exchange of defense capabilities, including supporting the acquisition of nuclear-powered submarines for the Australian Navy. But our cooperation goes far beyond the security sector. President Biden has placed a priority on strengthening the reach and coordinating power of the Quad, so that the United States and Australia, along with the other members, can help Uh, work together on COVID-19 vaccines, climate change, technological innovation, and regional competition. The Quad format shows tremendous promise in its ability to convene regional democracies to solve collective challenges and to present a contrast to China's increasingly assertive posture in the Indo-Pacific. Ambassador Goldberg, as you well know, throughout uh, your wealth of experience in the Foreign Service, South Korea is one of our oldest and most important partners in Asia. Since 1953, our mutual defense treaty has been ironclad. We now have nearly 30,000 troops based in South Korea, and I applaud the administration's success in negotiating a new cost-sharing agreement with the South Korean government. After competitive elections that ended the last month, which included not only contentious debate on domestic issues, but also... Outline competing policies in how South Korea will address the challenges from North Korea and China. There's going to be a new president taking office in May, and we look forward to working with you uh, as you tell us more about how you're going to work with the incoming president. Ms. Carlson, the United States and the Philippines have a special relationship through shared history, cultures, defense cooperation, economic relations, close people-to-people ties. The Philippines' strategic location bordering the South China Sea in proximity to Taiwan undergirds the importance of our defense relationship. They've been a major non-NATO ally since 2003. Despite those close security ties, democratic backsliding throughout the course of President Duterte's time in office has been troubling. Senator Schatz and I were uh, part of the first congressional delegation to meet with President Duterte in Manila shortly after his election. and In that meeting, he was crystal clear about his objectives to use any means possible to wage war on drug dealers and drug users. But The execution-style violence he has employed, frankly, far surpassed my worst expectations. President Duterte has um, called President Putin his idol, a personal friend, while claiming that the Philippines would remain neutral in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Mr. Nathanson, the United States and Norway enjoy a long tradition of strong ties based on our shared democratic values. We share an interest in addressing the problems posed by climate change, particularly with respect to the Arctic and collaborating uh, with other Arctic states. On the security side, Norway, as you know, is a founding member of NATO and has been a crucial partner with us in strengthening the eastern flank of that alliance in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Norway is also the world's third largest exporter of natural gas and the fifth largest petroleum exporter and is poised to play a critical role in stabilizing energy markets that are roiled by Russia's war in Ukraine. These are incredibly important bilateral relationships made more important by the crisis uh, that um, our friends in Ukraine are embroiled in today. And we look forward to having a a robust discussion with you today uh, about these important posts. Um, we have uh, a few of our colleagues here to help us with introductions, and so let me, uh, f- before we do that, let me turn it over to Senator Romney for opening remarks.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you, uh, those of you who are willing to serve our country yet again in uh, in our service uh, overseas. Um, this is a critical time in the world's history. Uh, I, I met with uh, uh, leaders from an international body yesterday, and they said, in some respects, this is uh, unprecedented. We have war. At the same time, we have uh, famine. At the same time, we have a pandemic, all three uh, hitting the world at the same time. And and you will each represent our interests uh, in parts of the world that are critical to uh, uh, promoting America's interests around the world. Th- there are some who think we should simply forget the world and just uh, return home and only think about what's happening here. I happen to believe that if we're truly interested in America's interests first, that means we need to be extensively involved in the world, uh, making sure that the cause of freedom persists such that we can enjoy the economic vitality and peace that has been associated with, in large measure, with the last 70 years. And and I want to thank each of you for your willingness and that of your families to uh, be willing to serve uh, yet again. You've been nominated to serve in countries that are obviously very important allies to the U.S., and those partnerships are going to become more important in the years ahead. The uh, Honorable uh, Ambassador Caroline Kennedy uh, will be going to Australia, and as she knows, Australia is our steadfast partner uh, and among our most important allies historically and today. Our partnership will remain critical in maintaining a free and open Indo-Pacific. I hope that uh, Uh, Ambassador Kennedy, that you're going to be able to work with our friends in Australia to identify new opportunities for bilateral and multilateral cooperation and to strengthen the uh, already uh, strong quads relationship which we have. Uh, The Honorable Philip S. Goldberg, uh, South Korea, as you know, is our most important ally in dealing with the ongoing threat of uh, North Korea. And we need to work together to deter North Korea's aggression to push the Democratic People's Republic of Korea to abandon its nuclear weapons program, to stop its belligerent actions, and to cease its illegal activity. Uh, Of course, our partnership goes beyond this uh, uh, single common threat. I hope you'll also approach your time as ambassador uh, to uh, recommit to our partnership and to find new ways to uh, advance the uh, the interests which we have uh, among freedom-loving countries and nations that follow the rule of law, to, to uh, encourage China to begin to abide by uh, those uh, those common rules. Uh, Ms. Mary Ker- Mary Kay Las Carlson, if confirmed, will be stepping into a vinyl role, uh, and will be tasked with uh, uh, perhaps rebuilding and strengthening our uh, relationship with the Philippines, as the chairman has just indicated. Our relationship with the Philippines has been strained with the current president uh, uh, expressing uh, points of view which are uh, antithetical to those that many of us hold. Um, we're happy to see that the Visiting Forces Agreement was restored last year. We clearly have a good relationship with those who have the long-term interest of our uh, of the region and in, in, uh, in their sights. Uh, I hope that you'll be able to work with our friends in the Philippines to find a much better path forward uh, with regards to our common interest in human rights. Uh, Mr. Mark Nathanson, uh, I don't have to tell you that NATO uh, is pleased to have Norway as an important ally. Uh, Its geopolitical significance will only become more important as Russia and China attempt to change the rules of the road, particularly as they relate to uh, uh, their presence in the Arctic. Uh, I hope you'll use your time as ambassador to strengthen our cooperation with Norway. Uh, especially on those Arctic issues. Uh, and additionally, I hope you'll be able to work with our Nor- Norwegian allies to develop a common or complementary responses when faced with threats from, from Russia and China. So to all, all of you, I appreciate your willingness to serve. It is uh, uh, a real commitment, and I, I hope the American people recognize that on the part of you and your families to go serve our country in a foreign place uh, with so much happening in the world, represents a sacrifice in your part and is one which I personally and I think all members of our committee deeply appreciate. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
0: Uh, thank you, Senator Romney. Let me now
2: turn to Senator Markey for purposes of an introduction. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, very much. It is my pleasure to introduce Caroline Kennedy, who is nominated to be our next ambassador to the Commonwealth of Australia. Joining her in person is her husband, Ed, and her son, Jack, who, like mom... Once graced these halls as a Senate intern. We welcome them today as we all recognize Caroline Kennedy's tremendous achievements in diplomacy. Watching on this committee's live stream, no doubt, are Ambassador Kennedy's two daughters, Rose and Tatiana. Caroline Kennedy has statesmanship and public service in her DNA, public service to kids in New York City public service in support of what her father called the moral cause of civil rights, and public service as our ambassador to Japan. She embodies the strength, integrity, poise, and humor that is necessary to serve our country in consequential times. Caroline was not a conventional ambassador. She has been a trailblazer as the first woman to serve as U.S. ambassador to Japan. She used her megaphone Diplomacy to champion the rights of women to deepen our alliance with Japan and to skillfully navigate Her key touch points in the bilateral relationship She did the unconventional from a bike ride to lift spirits ravaged by the 2021 earthquake to donning a Santa Claus hat to reach youth on YouTube but she also excelled in her more traditional duties Japanese foreign minister, uh, Kishida, who is now Prime Minister of Japan, said of Caroline, she was an exceptionally tough negotiator. As a best-selling author and student of history, Caroline Kennedy was mindful of symbolism. President Kennedy's boat was sunk by the Japanese in World War II, the same war that saw the attack on Pearl Harbor and later the first and only use of nuclear weapons that ended the war at a great cost. As ambassador to Japan, Caroline played a key role to reconcile the painful legacy of war by facilitating President Barack Obama's historic visit to Hiroshima and helping Prime Minister Abe communicate directly with the American people at Pearl Harbor. Ambassador Kennedy is a fantastic pick for another key ally, Australia, the Democratic anchor in the Indo-Pacific. Caroline and other members of her family started the Profiles in Courage Award in 1989. Past recipients include George Herbert Walker Bush, Ambassador Robert Ford, and a member of this committee, Senator Mitt Romney. As an educator, author, philanthropist, ambassador, and most of all, a proud mother, Caroline's life has been and will continue to be what we all believe is a profile in courage. And as chair of the East Asia Subcommittee, it has been my pleasure to work with Caroline Kennedy and her role in the Asian region. And I'm proud to support my friend, Caroline Kennedy, for this important post. She will do an absolutely great job. I urge swift confirmation for Ambassador Kennedy to this new new and critical post.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, uh, Senator uh, Markey, and we uh, know that votes are pending on the floor. We appreciate uh, you providing the introduction. Uh, Let me give some brief introductions of our other uh, guests here today. Uh, We may be joined by another colleague um, for uh, help in those introductions, Uh, and then we'll uh, begin with testimony from our witnesses. Um, We are also joined here today by Ambassador Philip Goldberg, our nominee to be Ambassador to Korea. Ambassador Goldberg is completing his current assignment as Ambassador to Colombia, after previously serving at our embassy in Cuba, and as our ambassador to the Philippines. After that, we have Ms. Mary Kay Los Carlson, the nominee to be ambassador to the Philippines. Ms. Carlson is a career member of the State Department's Senior Foreign Service, having most recently served uh, as the charge in Argentina. And finally, uh, Mr. Nathanson is nominated to be ambassador to Norway, Um, We're grateful uh, for uh, his um, significant service in the private sector, his active participation in matters of foreign affairs. Um, We're grateful to have him before the committee, and I think we'll uh, have a supplemental introduction. Um, Let's start with uh, you, Ambassador Kennedy. Uh, We welcome your opening remarks, and then we'll go uh, down the panel. Just make sure your microphone is on.
3: Okay. Uh, Mr. Chairman, thank you, Ranking Member Romney, uh, members of the committee, I want to also thank my friend uh, Senator Markey for his very uh, kind introduction and for being here today. It's an honor to appear before you this morning as the President's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to Australia. I'm grateful for the consideration of this distinguished committee and I look forward to answering your questions and hearing firsthand your thoughts and concerns about our vital relationship with Australia. If confirmed, I look forward to working with you and other members of Congress to advance the interests of the United States, protect the safety of our citizens, and strengthen the bilateral relationship for the benefit of both our countries. I'd like to thank my family for their support during this process and their enthusiasm for this mission. My husband, Ed, and my son, Jack, are here with me, and my daughters and my new grandson are watching from home. Ed and I visited Australia on our honeymoon and we were thrilled to return as a family in 2014. I'm humbled by this opportunity and the chance to be here today. I'll always be grateful to the Australian Coast Watchers and Solomon Islanders who rescued my father during World War II, and I know he hoped to be the first sitting President to visit Australia during his second term. If confirmed, I hope to be able to carry that legacy forward in my own small way. And whenever I come to the Senate, I feel the presence of my Uncle Teddy, whose devotion to this institution, to his colleagues, and to our country, was an inspiration to generations of Americans, and whose love and support meant the world to me. I can think of no greater privilege than serving my country abroad. From 2013 to 2017, as ambassador to Japan, I was proud to advocate for American ideals, In a country that, like Australia, shares our commitment to democracy, human rights and the rule of law. I gained broad exposure to the changing dynamics in the Indo-Pacific region, the increasing security tensions and evolving demands on the U.S. military, the rising trade, economic and climate challenges, the importance of working with U.S. allies and partners, and of building support for people-to-people ties among young generations. These challenges have only become more urgent during the past five years. I also appreciated the opportunity to work closely with our talented diplomats and local staff, and I believe all these experiences will help me to be successful if I'm confirmed to this position. Before serving abroad, I worked to make history more accessible and inspire new generations to public service. I spent 10 years working with the New York City Public Schools to build public-private partnerships chaired the Harvard Institute of Politics and the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation, which has honored political courage for the past 30 years, including on this committee. The lessons I learned from these experiences and from writing books on the Constitution, poetry, and civics will help me represent the United States in a world where the liberal international order is being undermined, yet American values are more essential than ever. There's no country more committed to these values than our close ally and Five Eyes partner, Australia. Australia has fought with us for the past 100 years, and together we mark the 70th anniversary of the ANSES Treaty. Our Marines have rotated through Darwin for the past 10 years. Our future security cooperation will build on this strong foundation. Last year, we announced AUKUS, an ambitious 21st century partnership between the United States, the UK, and Australia. If confirmed, I will work hard to further this groundbreaking partnership. Australia is an essential partner in the Quad, among our most significant diplomatic initiatives in the Indo-Pacific. Together with Japan and India, we are engaging in a range of activities to promote a free and open, secure and resilient Indo-Pacific. These initiatives include health and climate security and emerging technologies. We also partner closely with Australia on humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, as well as vaccine deliveries across the Pacific Islands and throughout the region. The United States is Australia's most important economic partner. Our two-way trade has doubled since our free trade agreement went into effect in 2005. We're increasing vital cooperation on critical technologies, rare-earth minerals, supply chain resilience and energy transformation. And as we emerge from the restrictions of the past two years, Americans and Australians are eager to resume their in-person ties of friendship and business and study abroad, which are among the closest in the world. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the talented members of Mission Australia to assist these efforts and ensure that the ties between our two countries grow even stronger in the coming years. Thank you again for the opportunity to appear before you today, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you very much. Ambassador Goldberg.
4: Mr. Chairman, uh, distinguished members of the committee, I'm deeply honored uh, to be here today as the President's nominee to serve as the United States Ambassador to the Republic of Korea. I'm grateful for the confidence uh, shown by President Biden and Secretary Blinken in entrusting me with this important responsibility. And if confirmed, I look forward to working closely with this committee to advance U.S. priorities in the ROK and further strengthen our nearly seven decades long alliance. I'm honored to be uh, before this committee uh, for the sixth time as a presidential appointee of both parties, asking for your advice and consent to serve and deeply appreciate the crucial role Congress plays in the foreign policy process. I want to thank my family watching uh, on or streaming from home, my sister, brothers-in-law, and nieces and nephews for their support and love. I want to thank my colleagues in Bogota who are no doubt watching, as well as the Korea Desk, uh, friends and colleagues around the world uh, who I've worked with uh, for a long time and who protect our interests overseas uh, and the people of the United States every day. Uh, I'm honored uh, to be a member of the U.S. uh, Foreign Service. Since 1953, our alliance with the Republic of Korea has been the linchpin of peace, security, and prosperity in the Indo-Pacific and beyond. Forged during the Korean War and the 1953 Mutual Defense Treaty, the US-ROK alliance has evolved into a partnership that is comprehensive and global in nature. If confirmed, my top priority will be to strengthen our ironclad alliance even as we expand the relationships regional and global reach. Over the past few years, We have seen Korea act as an important partner in several crises, including in working with the international community to condemn the military coup in Burma and Putin's unprovoked and unjustified war against Ukraine. The ROK has also joined with the United States in addressing other global challenges, such as COVID-19, global democracy, and our shared climate agenda. The United States needs and welcomes a global Korea, not only to tackle the most pressing challenges of the 21st century, but also to see, seize this century's greatest opportunities. Even as the U.S.-ROK relationship has become a pivotal global partnership, we remain focused on our commitment to protect the ROK from external aggression. The U.S. military personnel stationed in the ROK work closely with the Korean military and United Nations command member countries to deter and defend against the threat from the DPRK, North Korea, and maintain the armistice agreement. If confirmed, I will continue to pursue the President's calibrated approach to achieve our goal of the complete denuclearization of the Korean peninsula. To that end, I would also uh, ensure we continue to consult closely with our Korean Japanese and other allies, and partners for the full implementation of UN Security Council resolutions while exploring the potential for diplomacy. Our deep economic ties make the U.S.-ROK relationship unique. The Chorus Free Trade Agreement, which just celebrated its 10-year anniversary, remains the bedrock of our economic relationship, and today Korea is our sixth largest trading partner. Korean investments in the United States create thousands of high-paying jobs, and if confirmed, I will continue to work attracting investment to the United States to create jobs and prosperity for the American worker. A keystone of our relationship is our long-standing people-to-people ties. There are now more than two million Americans of Korean descent, and they are members of Congress, senior officials in our military, U.S. diplomats, and business and civil society leaders. More than 1.7 million Koreans have studied in the United States and approximately 26,000 Koreans have participated in U.S.-sponsored exchanges. The American people uh, benefit from and celebrate Korea's rich culture, everything from traditional hallmarks like the hanbok and kimchi to recent cultural phenomena like BTS and Squid Games. If confirmed, I'll work uh, to ensure the bonds of trust and affection between our people remains strong and vibrant. On March 9th, the ROK held its eighth presidential election since its transition to democracy in 1987. I admire the uh, Korean people's commitment uh, to democracy and congratulate President-elect Yoon on his election. The U.S.-ROK relationship has blossomed thanks to President Biden and President Moon's leadership, and if confirmed, I will work with President-elect Yoon's administration and the Korean people to continue to push forward our shared vision of a free and open Indo-Pacific and a world committed to international rules-based order, democratic principles, and respect for universal human rights. Ranking Member Romney, uh, I would be honored to lead the outstanding men and uh, women of U.S. Mission Korea and to work with our military to strengthen our historic alliance. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Congress to continue shepherding and ever, the ever-increasing bonds with the ROK to rise to meet the challenges of the 21st century. I look forward to
1: your questions. Thank you so much. Uh, I see that Senator Padilla is here, and so we're going to turn to him so that he will be able to uh, introduce uh, our nominee to be Ambassador to Norway, Mr. Nathanson. Welcome, Senator Padilla, to the committee, and uh, please uh, proceed.
5: Thank you, uh, Ranking Member Romney, uh, Mr. Chairman and Abstentia, and members of the committee. I'm glad this worked out. I raced over from uh, EPW uh, to be able to introduce my friend, Mark Nathanson. Uh, proud to introduce him uh, to this committee. Uh, he is a fellow Californian, a fellow Angeleno, and President Biden's nominee to serve as United States Ambassador to Norway. Uh, as I hope you have become familiar, uh, throughout his decades-long career, Mr. Nathanson has been one of the world's leading communications entrepreneurs as well as a staunch environmentalists. Mr. Nathanson earned his bachelor's degree from the University of Denver and a master's degree from the University of California, Santa Barbara, where he was a National Science Foundation Fellow. In 1975, Mr. Nathanson founded Falcon Cable TV and in 1999 became Vice Chairman of Charter Communications. Today he is Chairman of Mapleton Investments and Chairman Emeritus of Falcon Water Technologies. He has served on the boards of the Annenberg School of Communications at the University of Southern California, as well as UCLA's Anderson School of Management and UCLA Center for Communications Policy. Think about that. You want diplomacy, someone who is liked both on the campuses of UCLA and USC? That speaks volumes. His uh, career has also included public service, working to advance democracy at home and abroad. He was chairman of the United States Agency for Global Media, then called the Broadcasting Board of Governors under both Presidents Clinton and Bush. This global media agency is vital to inform, engage, and connect people around the world in support of freedom and democracy, which is always important, but today even more timely. Through this role, Mr. Nathanson became intimately familiar with the information operations and the importance of countering information and disinformation, which is a key destabilizing tool used by the Kremlin today. Mr. Nathanson has also served as co-chairman of the Pacific Council on International Policy and vice chairman of the National Democratic Institute for International Affairs. All told, Mr. Nathanson has more than 25 years of foreign policy and public diplomacy experience. He's been recognized by several environmental organizations for his work on water conservation and other climate issues and I'm confident he will aptly represent our values and our national interests in Norway. The United States and Norway share strong democratic values and critical partnerships on a wide range of issues, from combating the climate crisis to strengthening the NATO alliance. I know that in Mr. Nathanson, the United States has a reliable and trusted representative, and I urge his swift confirmation. Thank you again. Thank
1: you, Senator Padilla. I uh, will now turn to Mr. Nathanson for uh, his testimony.
6: Mr. Chairman, ranking member, distinguished members of the committee, I'm honored to be here today as the President's nominee to be the U.S. Ambassador to the Kingdom of Norway. Thank you, Senator Padilla, for your gracious introduction and your long friendship. I'm deeply grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their trust and confidence. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with Congress to build upon a strong partnership between the United States and Norway. I would like to acknowledge my family, including my eight grandchildren. My commitment to public service is driven by my love of family who have motivated me to make our world a better place for future generations. My two sons, Adam and David, are here representing their sister Nicole in our family. My eternal gratitude goes to the love of my life, Jane Fallick Nathanson, who I met the first day of college. I would not be here today without Jane's unwavering support for the last 54 years. I spent my professional career in communications and founded my own company, Falcon Cable TV in 1975 which served communities both domestically and internationally. I later entered government as a member of the Board of Governors of the U.S. Agency for Global Media and became its first chair. I served seven years in the Senate-confirmed post under both President Clinton and President Bush. In addition, the Secretary of State appointed me to serve on the Board of Governors of the East-West Center in Honolulu, Hawaii. After government service, I joined the board of the National Democratic Institute and became vice chair under Madeleine Albright's leadership. Secretary Albright was a very close (laughs) friend of mine. We all celebrate her legacy in foreign policy and we mourn her passing. Throughout my career in government service, I believe I have developed the leadership and diplomatic skills required to represent the United States effectively. Norway is a trusted ally and close friend of the United States. If confirmed, I will work closely with our talented team at Embassy Oslo to strengthen our great relationship with Norway. There are three priorities to our work. First, enhancing shared security. If confirmed, my top priority will be the safety and security of Americans in Norway, including mission personnel. Furthermore, I will promote our shared security interest. As a founding NATO ally, Norway has stood with the United States to address a range of emerging threats, including Russia's unprovoked war of choice against Ukraine and threats to European security in general. Norway plays a critical role in patrolling and protecting NATO's northern flank, if confirmed, I will support Norway's effort to strengthen its defense capabilities. Second, upholding global norms and addressing global challenges. The United States and Norway partner to strengthen democracy, promote human rights, and confront many of the world's most pressing issues. As Arctic states, the United States and Norway can together ensure the region remains stable and conflict-free, governed by rules-based International order, despite actions by China and other competitors. A key tenet of Norway's foreign policy is humanitarian and development assistance. If confirmed, I will work tirelessly to uphold these important norms in the Arctic and globally. Third, increasing energy, environment, trade, and investment opportunity with a focus on the green transition. Our two countries have a long-standing economic ties. Norway is the second largest natural gas exporter to Europe. Norwegian investment in offshore wind near New York will power up to 2 million homes and is an example of cooperation in this energy transition. If confirmed, I will work to promote shared prosperity and combat the climate crisis. I recognize the honor and responsibilities bestowed upon me by the nomination. If confirmed, I will do my best to uphold the trust that you and the American people are placing in me. Thank you again for this opportunity to appear before you today. I look forward to any questions.
0: Thank you very much. Ms. Carlson.
7: Chairman Murphy, Ranking Member Romney, and distinguished members of the committee, I am deeply honored to be here today and grateful to President Biden and Secretary Blinken for placing their confidence in me to serve as the next U.S. Ambassador to the Republic of the Philippines. I appreciate the opportunity to answer your questions and hear your thoughts about our relationship with the Philippines, our oldest treaty ally in the Indo-Pacific. If confirmed, I look forward to working with the committee and other members of Congress to advance the interests of the United States, protect our citizens, and strengthen the bilateral relationship. I would like to take a minute to thank, to thank some people whose support and guidance have shaped my life in important ways. My parents, George and Kay Loss of Little Rock, Arkansas, who serve as my inspiration and to whom I owe everything, including my sense of public service. My husband, Aubrey, and our daughters, Catherine and Karen, who are the center of my life. I want to also thank The many U.S. Embassy teams with whom I have had the honor to serve over the course of my 37-year career, including the dedicated local staff members who are the backbone of our overseas operations. And to my three siblings and other family watching from Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, New York, Connecticut, and California, and mentors, friends, and colleagues around the world, thank you. If confirmed, I would be thrilled to represent our country in the Philippines a vibrant democratic ally with which we share a long history. Our ties are enriched by the more than 4 million Filipinos and Filipino-Americans in the United States and more than 350,000 U.S. citizens who live and work in the Philippines. We must work together to deepen the roots of the long-standing friendship and people-to-people ties between our two democracies. We must upgrade and modernize our alliance to face new challenges, expand U.S. trade and investment, and support the rule of law and good governance. The U.S.-Philippines alliance is irreplaceable and foundational to our strategic interests in the Indo-Pacific. The mutual defense treaty that our country signed in 1951 serves as the bedrock of our unwavering commitment to the security of the Philippines. If confirmed, I pledge to continue to expand opportunities for bilateral training, exercises, and capacity building to support the long-term modernization of the armed forces of the Philippines and to advance peace and security in the region. I will also work to ensure our security cooperation continues to help the Philippine military and law enforcement bodies combat terrorism, transnational crime, and violent extremism. Concurrently, I will continue U.S. efforts to urge the Philippine government to conduct all law enforcement operations in accordance with the rule of law and consistent with international human rights standards. And I will urge the government to conduct thorough, transparent investigations into all suspected unlawful killings and to hold accountable those who are guilty. We support the aspirations of millions of Filipinos who want to live in a society characterized by good governance, human rights protections, and the rule of law. If confirmed, I will work to strengthen the administration of justice and support Philippine human rights defenders and civil society, and encourage respect for freedom of expression, including for members of the press. Among the values our two democracies share is the respect for international law, which underpins freedoms of navigation and overflight, unimpeded lawful commerce, and the peaceful resolution of disputes in the South China Sea and around the world. If confirmed, I will continue our efforts to bolster Philippine capabilities that enhance maritime domain awareness. The United States seeks to remain a leading trading partner and foreign investor as the Philippines progresses toward economic recovery and upper middle income status. If confirmed, I will support reforms that enhance transparency, assure labor rights protections, boost beneficial trade and investment, and increase cooperation to ensure resilient supply chains. I will promote an economic partnership that engages the U.S. and Philippine private sectors and other stakeholders so that we can invest in climate action and support low-carbon energy security. Finally, let me note that our U.S. embassies overseas are more than places of work. They are communities of people. If confirmed, I will prioritize the safety and well-being of U.S. Embassy Manila's talented staff and families. I will maintain their focus on our top goals and ensure they represent the diverse talents of our democratic societies. Thank you for considering my nomination, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Uh, Thank you to all of our witnesses. We'll begin a round of five-minute questions. Uh, I'll start with a few. Um, Ambassador Goldberg, let me start with you. I sometimes worry that American foreign policies become dangerously sclerotic. We um, sanction our enemies and we sell weapons to our friends, Um, while other countries that are often adversaries, like China or Russia, have a much more diverse toolkit at their disposal with which to try to gain influence. Um, You spent uh, some time as the North Korea sanctions coordinator, and you're going to inherit an even more robust set of sanctions on North Korea, um, given the announcements from the Biden administration uh, in the wake of the latest ballistic missile tests. just interested to hear your assessment about the efficacy of our sanctions regime, given the fact that, you know, Americans with just a passing interest in world affairs uh, haven't helped but notice um, that these devastating multilateral sanctions haven't seemed to have had any practical impact on the conduct of the North Korean regime. Um,
4: interested to hear your take on this question. Senator, I think sanctions work, uh, but they're not a policy in and of of themselves. Uh, They have to be accompanied by other elements of uh, U.S. uh, and world influence and power. They have to be uh, multilateral without much leakage. In some cases, and in the case of North Korea, uh, the lack of tie-in to the international Financial system and trade uh, make it more difficult in some respects, easier in others, uh, to enforce uh, sanctions. You have to have a population that has a say in uh, what is going on in their country. There are other examples of sanctions elsewhere that have worked uh, more quickly uh, to influence public opinion, but there is no public opinion in North Korea. So it's a very difficult, hard target for sanctions. All of that said, North Korea wants those sanctions lifted, which is a uh, reason uh, to keep pressing uh, because they want them lifted for a reason. uh, And they want to uh, have uh, their cake and eat it too in terms of not uh, being forthcoming uh, on negotiations, which we've offered without preconditions. Uh, So they are an important element, but they're not an element uh, that will necessarily do the trick by themselves. Um, Ambassador uh, Kennedy, um, I wanted to
0: draw for a moment on your experience um, in Japan. Um, Here's how uh, the editor of one of the most significant Chinese Communist Party-run newspapers described Australia. Um, He said, Australia is chewing gum stuck on the sole of China's shoes. Sometimes you just have to find a stone to rub it off. Um, He said this in the context of a pretty significant row between China and Australia, driven by um, an increasingly hostile and muscular diplomatic presence um, and set of activities um, from the Chinese government inside Australia. And this is, of course the story all throughout the region. The Chinese are willing to do things and say things, employ more aggressive tactics in a way that they were not uh, 10 to 20 years ago. And I'd just be interested to hear a little bit about what you learned during your time in Japan about the um, increasingly aggressive uh, diplomatic tactics of the Chinese and, and how you'll take those learnings to this new job.
3: I think what I've seen is that the um, things have really changed and increased in the region, the tensions, since my time in Japan. Um, all the countries out there have dealt with each other for a very long time, um, but certainly Australia most recently has um, been challenged by a Chinese economic coercion. And I think that the United States uh, can learn a lot from their response. They've stood firm. And I think they've managed to um, uh, come together with a bipartisan foreign policy um, and, I think, a greater and deeper partnership with us um, in the security and diplomatic areas as well as across the board um, that will serve our country and theirs well as we move forward into this increasingly tense time in the Indo-Pacific. So I look forward to working with the Australians, um, and, uh, with the Japanese, uh, to secure a free and open Indo-Pacific.
0: Did, did you see, um, an increase in the, uh, sort of virulence of these tactics while you were in Japan, or do you think that some of this happened, um, more recently?
3: Um, it, I, I did see it, um, but I think it has become much more, uh, uh, wide spread, much more public, much more open there were um, the South China sea issues were certainly present the some of the economic um, coercion um, was certainly happening, um, but I think all of that has become more dramatic since in the last five years
1: okay. Senator Romney Thank you mr. chairman um, Ms Carlson. Um, I think a number of us have been uh, surprised uh, and a little disoriented by the uh, comments made by the current president of the Philippines, uh, the apparent distance he uh, has with uh, the cause of freedom and his uh, closeness to, to China. Um, uh, obviously, our nation has uh, worked with the uh, people of the Philippines to Uh, provide for safety and security of that nation and and his his uh, redirection uh, has been uh, hard to understand can you give me a sense from your perspective as to what it is that may have led him to make the uh, uh, departure from our historic relationship uh, that he has Uh, and, uh, and and to what extent you believe that's being uh um welcomed by the people of the Philippines?
7: Thank you for that question. I I think it's important to uh, look at the US-Philippine relationship in its entirety. We are friends, partners, allies with a 75 year history of diplomacy. We're celebrating thriving at 75 uh, just this year. So with regard to any particular individual, uh, I, I think the more important thing is to look ahead. We have a strong foundation of shared values with the people of the Philippines. We train with their military very closely, hundreds of um, training exercises every year, including the Balakatan uh, Premier Exercise, which means shoulder to shoulder, which is just finishing up today in the Philippines, where our um, colleagues across all sectors of society work together, including uh, freedom of expression and countering uh, Chinese aggression. So I think as we look forward to the next 75 years, there's a lot of room for optimism based on the strong foundations of democracy that exist in the Philippines.
1: Thank you. Uh, Ambassador Kennedy, um, uh, I think we've been very impressed with the backbone that's been shown by the people of Australia. Uh, they banned uh, Huawei products, They uh, have probed the origins of COVID. They uh, participated in a uh, diplomatic boycott of the of uh, uh, the Olympics as a result of what was being perpetrated against the Uyghur people. Um, uh, in this setting, they're obviously a very small uh, in terms of population and economy uh, neighbor of, of China. Um, we share interests in getting China to to, to behave in a more uh, uh, normal and rules-based way, uh, what, what is your perception of, of uh, how Australia might be able to, to uh, uh, lead an effort to really develop a comprehensive strategy to confront China?
3: I think Australia and the United States working together uh, is, uh, especially um, in the quad with our uh, India friends and with Japan, is a very powerful um, alliance and combination. Um, and I think that the Australian um, people have now uh, come together in understanding um, the challenges posed by China. So I think that we have an opportunity through our partnerships and alliances, working multilaterally throughout the region, uh, to really uh, create a comprehensive strategy that will strengthen um, deterrence and uh, increase our own security as well as allowing for the continued prosperity of the region. I think the rules-based order that America has um, stood behind, has working with Australia, has really allowed millions to prosper and provide a great opportunity for Americans. I think that um, together with Australia, we will continue to deliver on that.
1: I would note that China has a very comprehensive and to date pretty successful strategy uh, to expand their influence in the world, to develop the strongest military in the world, to become the strongest economy in the world. Uh, And I'm concerned that we as a nation and uh, and even members of the Quad have not settled on what our strategy is uh, to deal with China. Uh, Do you agree that China is behaving in a malevolent and predatory way that represents a real threat uh, to uh, to our interests uh, here and around the world?
3: I think the strongest thing that we have is our values and our, uh, the sense I saw when I was in Japan, how the whole world really still looks to America as the place they want to come to, the place that, uh, that inspires them. So I, I feel confident that we do have uh, in our values, in our economic strength, in our uh, security partnerships, our alliances, our multilateral work, um, that we do have a winning strategy. And I know that Australia and the United States together uh, work side by side to implement that every day. So I'm confident uh, in the United States and in our ability to uh, maintain a free and open and secure and prosperous Indo-Pacific. Senator Schatz.
8: Thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, Ranking Member. And um, uh, to all of the nominees, thank you for your willingness to serve uh, I'm so thrilled to be here. This really is the A-team and this conveys a degree of seriousness uh, from the Biden administration and from Secretary Blinken uh, to put its best team on the field uh, in the Indo-Asia Pacific uh, region. So thank you. And and Mr. Nathanson, I was just thinking about Secretary Albright and whatever one's views of the afterlife may be. I know she's watching C-SPAN right now uh, and proud of all of you. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, My first question is, uh, for Ambassador Goldberg, and I want to follow up on what, what um, Senator Murphy was asking about, because especially as it relates to CVID, um, and we've had this conversation, um, and we had this conversation of the Banking Committee with Bob Corker six years ago. We have these kind of, we lack intermediate steps, it occurs to me. We have a declaration of where we want to land, complete, verifiable, irreversible, denuclearization of the peninsula. Everyone can get behind that. And what's our tool? Well, sanctions. And so that's clearly not working. And so what is the in-between space? Um, How do we do a serious reevaluation of whether or not our bipartisan failure on this issue um, uh, uh, can be tweaked? And I understand our limitations. And it may just be that this is a hard problem and we have to maintain pressure until the opportunity presents itself but then we should articulate that. I'm just worried that everyone's too afraid to say CVID is a nice goal, but not anything we can achieve in the next five years or even 10 years. And we should have some intermediate steps in the the intervening time. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are. And at least I'd like to hear a willingness to reevaluate our policy.
4: Thank you, Senator. Comprehensive, uh, verifiable, irreversible denuclearization. Those are difficult uh, goals, Uh, but they fit very well with our uh, non-proliferation goals. Uh, They fit with our policy of deterrence, building, broadening, deepening our alliance with the Republic of Korea, uh, and doing all possible. Uh, to defend against uh, a uh, rogue uh, regime in in North Korea that uh, is violating at every opportunity UN resolutions, uh, their own commitments, uh, international agreements. So uh, it is a very difficult problem. If if, uh, we don't admit it, I'm admitting it here. Uh, But it's one that we need to continue to work on and be uh, quite resolute about.
8: Well, you're not in the position yet, and so I don't expect you to move uh, U.S. foreign policy before con- confirmation. That's unreasonable and possibly politically dangerous for, for your confirmation, so I get that. But let's have a real dialogue about what's working and not working. And, and Senator Murphy said it exactly right. And this goes for the military space, too. We, people are terrified of, of going toe-to-toe with us, but in the, in the um, gray zone. Also in the diplomatic gray zone, people are running circles around us. And so we've got to maintain a little bit of flexibility here and try to figure out what we can do um, to change policy. And that doesn't mean that we're not working towards CVID. It means that we acknowledge that that's not the only thing that we say as it relates to the the peninsula. Um, Final question uh, for um, uh, Ms. Carlson. you know, I think everybody knows I'm for climate action, but I want to focus on a different aspect of climate, which is climate adaptation and specifically um, preparing for and responding to uh, increasing severity and frequency of natural disasters in the Philippines. That seems to me to be a place that we're already doing very well and, um, and uh, bolsters the ties, including the people-to-people ties, uh, between the U.S. and the Philippines, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are on what more we can do in that space. I think that is uh, both at the humanitarian level uh, an incredibly important priority for the United States but also it has positive geopolitical implications. I like your thoughts.
7: Thank you very much. Uh, I totally agree with what you've just said. If confirmed, I would work to lead our talented embassy team there to find ways uh, that we could um, work with our friends, partners, in the Philippines to enhance their ability to combat climate change. As you know, the Philippines is particularly vulnerable, given its long uh, shorelines, to climate change. They are subject to typhoons and and, uh, disasters. Fortunately, our USAID teams and our uh, military Indo-PACOM colleagues have been there to assist in partnership with the uh, Philippines. So it is definitely in our interest to enhance their ability to respond. I think there, I'm sure there are um, very specific things that we can do, and if confirmed, I would look forward to uh, working with you and other members of the committee and in Congress to find ways that we could support climate adaptation in the Philippines for the benefit of both of our countries. Thank you.
8: Thank you very much. Senator Haggerty.
9: Thank you very much, uh, Chair Murphy, and Congratulations to all of the nominees uh, today. Um, I'd like to start, uh, if I might, with Ambassador Kennedy um, to say uh, welcome to your husband Ed. It's so good to see you again. And Jack, I know that your support has been a great deal. To um, your your family support has been a great deal to your success. And it's great to see you all here today. Ambassador Kennedy, has several questions, uh, and I know you've got great experience dealing with the Quad partnership from your previous role as ambassador to Japan. I'd love to hear your perspective on how we can further strengthen our relationship with the Quad.
3: I think the Quad is one of the most important diplomatic initiatives that we have and it affords a great opportunity uh, for the United States and for our other like-minded democracies to uh, really work together on key issues like uh, COVID, um, like climate change, like supply chain resilience and security Uh, and new technologies to really um, strengthen our partnership, preserve the rules-based order in the Indo-Pacific, and advance the United States' interests.
9: Something's happening in the region right now um, that I'm sure you're well aware of in the Solomon Islands. The Chinese Communist Party has been very engaged in that region, working with the government of the Solomon Islands. Uh, They're stepping in now and talking about constructing a bilateral security agreement. It's very concerning to us as a nation here. I know it's very concerning to the Australians as well. Um, what do you think? What do you think the prospects are for that bilateral security agreement being entered between China and the Solomon Islands, and what should the United States posture be relative to that?
3: Uh, well, obviously, I'm, I'm not fully read in on that, but if confirmed, I would uh, work very hard. Australia has a very active um, diplomacy embassy in every. Pacific Island nation, and it's been a historic area of of United States engagement as well. And I think that the fact that we are reopening our embassy in the Solomon Islands, uh, that can't come soon enough. I think that together with Australia, um, with the infrastructure partnership that we have uh, in the Pacific Islands, which I know that you worked um, to initiate when you were ambassador to Japan, um, we can do more, and we should do more, and we must stay engaged. This is a vital region. Um, and I think that uh, our we need to be more visible and uh, but I think that our long record um, in the region of support and assistance over many years, if we are able to build on that that yeah. um, that we we can really make a
9: difference. I, I appreciate that. And I think our allies like Australia can be invaluable as we continue to be ever diligent in the region because we know that the Chinese Communist Party is looking for every opportunity to change the status quo there. So I applaud you and encourage you to find every way possible to work with Australia and know that people on this committee will be supportive of finding ways again to, to push back wherever possible. If we could switch now to the AUKUS Trilateral Security Treaty, um, Security Agreement, I should say, Um, I was encouraged to find out that we're going to be working with our allies to facilitate Australia's nuclear propulsion, submarine propulsion technologies and capabilities. And just two days ago, it was announced that we're going to be stepping up that partnership to work with hypersonics and and with uh, counter-hypersonics. And my view is that deepening that relationship with Australia from a security perspective is going to be invaluable to our security in the region. I would love to hear your perspective on how you'll work to continue that process.
3: Uh, Well, if confirmed, um, I look forward to uh, learning more about the details of that partnership. I know that uh, a lot of work is happening now. There are many working groups on all aspects. As you said, it involves the um, submarines, but it also involves uh, cooperation on AI and quantum uh, and cyber and um, undersea technologies. And so I think that it is really uh, the kind of partnership that, as it grows um, and strengthens and we are able to build on it, will deliver... Great results for both our uh, technological sector and in in our American innovation, working together with Australia. And I think that there's a lot of uh, deterrence that will deliver well before the submarines um, are in operation.
9: I think it has great potential, and I appreciate your attention to to to, to that arena as well. The technology front will be an important an important line to, to to follow the confrontation in the region with our greatest um, strategic adversary, China. Uh, I'd like to turn my questions now to nominee Carlson. Uh, Mary Kay, you and I have talked about this before, but I'd like to speak with you about nurse visas. Um, as we all know, uh, through the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a severe shortage of nursing talent here in America. It's, it's almost reached a crisis proportion. Um, we've talked about visa interviews by video conference as a means to try to facilitate speeding up what has become a very big backlog uh, at the embassy there in the Philippines. I'd like to get your current assessment of where the backlog is at Embassy Manila and also what your plan might be to set the metrics to work through that backlog and to get your commitment to report back to me and my staff on how this is progressing.
7: Thank you, Senator. You have my commitment to continue to work on this very uh, important issue. No one likes a backlog, least of which our talented team working so hard in the consular section at the U.S. Embassy in Manila. I have spoken after our conversation uh, with a number of folks here in Washington and in the Philippines in our consular section there. And there are ways that we can um, do everything possible to speed up those uh, interviews. And I pledge to work with you and sure. with the folks here at the National Visa Center and at the embassy to accelerate the processing within the bounds uh, of the U.S. law with regard to immigration.
9: I, I look forward to that. As you know, my home state of Tennessee uh, is a hub of Hospital management and we see the problem uh, probably more clearly than any other state in the nation. So uh, this is a crisis Uh, That's something that the American public needs addressed and I very much appreciate your help in doing so Uh, With respect to the other nominees. I'll submit my questions for the record. Congratulations to all of you again. Thank you very much Thank you, mr. Chairman.
10: Thank you senator van Hollen Uh, Thank you, mr. Chairman congratulations to all of you on your uh, nominations um, and It's good to see you're all going to countries uh, that voted with the United States uh, to condemn uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I'm sure all of you will be working very hard, if confirmed, uh, to make sure we sustain that that pressure, um, given the unprovoked attacks um, on the people of Ukraine. And I am pleased that uh, right now at the United Nations, uh, our ambassador uh, is seeking a vote to expel Uh, Russia uh, from the United Nations uh, Human Rights uh, Council. They have no business uh, being there when they're uh, clearly implicated in in war crimes uh, as we speak. Um, Mr. Um, Ambassador Goldberg, if I could just follow up uh, on uh, some questions I think Senator Murphy uh, opened with respect to uh, uh, North Korea and uh, its recent launch of another long-range ICBM. And as you know, for for years we've been working to try to tighten uh, the sanctions regime, uh, economic sanctions regime on North Korea, uh, and we repeatedly find leaks in that. Uh, We've seen a series of UN uh, reports uh, identifying uh, Chinese entities uh, as the major source of circumventing uh, those economic sanctions. Uh, We also know that really China is the sort of big player as North Korea's neighbor and could exert more pressure uh, on the North Koreans uh, with respect to their uh, weapons programs, even though they sometimes have a rocky relationship. My question is this, uh, as we've seen our relations with China get more strained, have we seen China back off on the pressure it's putting on North Korea uh, with respect to constraining their nuclear weapons program, specifically their long-range missile program.
4: What I can say from public information, Senator, is that the uh, Chinese uh, uh, did not uh, vote uh, to impose further sanctions uh, at the UN, nor did the Russians, of course. Uh, And uh, so they uh, do have a slightly different approach uh, to uh, the North Koreans. Uh, and ask for our uh, uh, concessions as opposed to uh, having uh, discussions, negotiations without preconditions. Uh, So there is a divergence there. Uh, When I was uh, doing the uh, enforcement job of North Korean sanctions, and it was some time ago, it's more than 10 years, uh, there was leakage and uh, there continues no doubt to be leakage. I'm not revealing anything here because I, I'm not aware of particular cases, but there were, there were issues related to Chinese banks and uh, trade. Uh, it is a difficult, as I mentioned earlier, a hard target for sanctions in uh, North Korea, uh, but we do and we should continue uh, to seek Chinese uh, cooperation not just on sanctions, which is very important, but sanctions, as I mentioned before, is not a policy in and of uh, themselves, but also their cooperation in moving forward with uh, negotiations and getting back to some sort of discussion about denuclearization and how we're going to
10: handle uh, that issue. Well, that was my next question so uh, what do you what in your view is the best way forward there uh, in terms of both continue to apply pressure but Um, try to reach the the goal of a a denuclearized uh, peninsula?
4: Well, I don't know if it's my good fortune, Senator, but uh, my primary responsibility will be to strengthen the alliance and deterrence and to take other steps to try to convince the North Koreans uh, to return uh, to negotiations and working very closely uh, with the new uh, president-elect's government. Uh, So uh, I would Uh, allow, uh, Ambassador Sung Kim or, uh, people at the State Department to speak more about North Korea policy and the way forward, uh, and
10: not, uh, preempt their, uh, responsibilities? All right. Um, uh, Ambassador Kennedy, uh, congratulations, um, on this nomination and uh, with respect to, uh, China and Australia, as you well know, uh, they have strong commercial ties, but, uh, Australia has uh, appropriately pushed back hard on uh, China's efforts to use coercion uh, a, a, by applying economic pressure on political and human rights issues. H- how do you see the U.S. Uh, and Australia working now to to push back on on China's sort of aggression in the area? Well,
3: I think a- <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I think that um, pushing back on uh, Chinese economic coercion is something that um, that the United States is going to have to uh, support our allies and those that are suffering from it, like Lithuania um, as well as Australia. Australia has been a model um, and they are fortunate and they have a lot of uh, minerals and uh, critical uh, elements that uh, that and a lot of their other um, Exports they have been able to find other markets for, but this is a complicated issue Uh, and the United States and Australia, I think by working closely together across all uh, aspects of the relationship, whether they're diplomatic, whether they're regional, um, upholding the centrality of ASEAN, uh, strengthening uh, the Quad, um, we have a real opportunity here to create and sustain a connected and secure uh, Indo-Pacific, and I think that um, our alliance is certainly um, a key element of that, as well as it, just as our alliances with Korea, Japan, and our work with the Philippines also um, will help create a region that is um, more secure and abiding by the rules-based order that has served us all so well.
10: Thank you, and thank you, Mr. Chairman.
11: Thank you. Uh, Chairman Menendez. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman, and congratulations to all of the nominees on their uh, <laughs> nominations. This is a very important group of countries that you've been nominated to. Uh, uh, let me start with you, Ambassador Goldberg. Uh, I was with a special envoy of uh, the president-elect of South Korea yesterday with Senator Risch. We had a, a very interesting conversation. It seems like a rather it will be a rather dramatic shift from the moon policies, Uh, of the last four years, Um, and um, uh, we have a large diaspora in the, uh, certainly the United States, but in New Jersey, of uh, Korean Americans who have done exceptionally great work, including the Korean American Grassroots Conference. Uh, um, uh, Mr. Kim, I think, is is, uh, here in the audience. Uh, uh, There's a lot of expectation for your uh, confirmation and presence in South Korea, both by the South Koreans and by the community here. So uh, what is your assessment, then, of the recent North Korea uh, cruise and ballistic missile tests? Are are you concerned that North Korea may be seeking to up the ante with a bigger provocation, Uh, and if so, how should we respond? Mr.
4: Chairman, uh, the... Outrageous and continued provocations from the North are, of course, deeply troubling, concerning. Uh, and I think uh, our special representative for North Korea, Sung Kim, uh, said just yesterday that we expect more, especially with some of the celebrations upcoming in uh, North Korea. We have to uh, react with uh, enhanced deterrence, with uh, a solid alliance between the United States and South Korea, Japan, uh, and working uh, together to thwart these uh, threats uh, from North Korea uh, when sanctions are available and enforceable to also uh, continue uh, with very strong implementation. Uh, So we do need to uh, be aware that this could happen and that these provocations, which are illegal, uh, which violate UN resolutions, which uh, violate their own commitments, uh, North Korea's own commitments.
11: So uh, let me ask you, we, we, already uh, the ballistic missile tests are clearly a violations of the UN Security Council resolutions. Should we pursue additional sanctions against North Korea? Uh, I mentioned earlier to
4: Senator Van Hollen that uh, I'm my primary responsibility is in the, uh, if confirmed, would be to help in the, uh, solidifying the alliance and deterrence and working uh, with our military and other countries. Uh, I'm not, strictly speaking, going to be responsible for a North Korea policy.
11: No, but I, I'm sure the administration will have you on the phone once you're confirmed as part of the interagency process to opine. Don't you think so? I, I hope so. Uh, I I hope so, too, Uh, or or else uh, I don't know why we're sending you there. Uh, It seems seems to me that there has to be a response. Uh, If North Korea can continue to create provocations, can continue to violate Security Council resolutions with impunity, and there is no response, then it will continue to do so, and it will only deepen it. Well, I think you're right, Mr.
4: Chairman, but... Uh, I also know that we will take uh, measures as we have uh, if it has to be uh, through uh, unilateral action or with our allies uh, after uh, these kinds of provocations that we can't rely on the United Nations when uh, China and Russia have vetoes at the Security Council.
11: Let me ask you this. With uh, You know, we have historical issues between uh, South Korea and Japan. I recognize them, but we also have the importance of, of having a close relationship uh, with those two countries and ourselves uh, as a ability to meet the regional uh, challenge uh, of uh, North Korea, as well as China and others. Uh, do you see playing a role in helping the South Koreans uh, find a pathway forward with their Japanese counterparts?
4: Absolutely. Uh, I think that is a role, uh, if confirmed, that an ambassador in Seoul would, would play. Uh, working with our ambassador in Japan. Uh, You know they are each other's third largest trading partners. Japan is the biggest investor uh, in South Korea, uh, outstripping the United States. Uh, There are reasons that two democratic, technologically advanced, scientifically advanced countries uh, should uh, be working together more, not just on the North Korea issue, which has been uh, a uh, an issue where they have come together, but also on other issues regionally uh, and around the world.
11: Uh, one last. Ms. Kennedy, uh, congratulations on your nomination. appreciate your service in the past to our country. Um, Australia is a microcosm of the global climate crisis. A few weeks ago, Brisbane uh, in East Australia received a record 26 inches of rain in 72 hours, Uh, 2022 flooding emergency in Queensland and New South Wales is now 1.4 billion dollars and it's only the first week of April. Uh, The dawn of the COVID-19 pandemic in March of 2020 made it easy to forget but Australia's wildfires were dominating global headlines until the pandemic took center stage. Those fires cost Australia an estimated 103 billion dollars and ocean acidification is killing thousands of acres of the Great Barrier Reef. Now, this is an incredibly important relationship, part of the quad. As a matter of fact, I'll be traveling there uh, this recess. But there are great lessons for the United States uh, to learn uh, to how to prepare for such extreme climate disasters and how to get Australia to think about uh, uh, the climate responsibilities they have as well in their own interests, as well as a global interest. Uh, can I get you to commit to fostering information and strategic exchanges for scientists and disaster responders to learn and share experiences between our two countries?
3: I think that we um, we should do more of that. I know that, um, that the United States has um, tried to help where possible. There were firefighters from Wyoming, for example, that went to help during the um, the terrible fires in Australia, but certainly um, Australia uh, has learned a lot about uh, these kinds of disasters, and we also have been impacted by fires and floods and storms here in the United States. So um, the more that we can deal, learn about and learn how to combat and um, also move toward the clean energy transition and reduce the impacts of climate change... The faster we can do that, um, if confirmed, I would um, be eager to work on that.
11: Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I, I have questions for Ms. Carlson and Mr. Nathanson, but I'll submit it for the work record. I'm very concerned about Norway in the midst of the challenges of Russia now. It's got its own neighborhood problems. And I look forward to understanding where we're headed with the Philippines in the aftermath uh, of the present uh, administration hopefully a new dynamic uh, that, uh, that we can create. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.
1: Uh, Senator Kane. Thank you, Senator Romney, Mr. Chair. Good to be with you
12: and great to be with a, a wonderful panel. Um, Ms. Kennedy, great to see you again. Uh, we, we've had good interactions in our public service lives, and I'm really thrilled with your nomination and Ambassador Goldberg. I've really enjoyed visits to Columbia when you've been there. This is a really strong panel. Um, Let me me start with Ms. Carlson. Uh, Here's a worry of mine, uh, press freedom. Reporters Without Borders ranked the Philippines 138th out of 180 countries in the most recent World Press Freedom Index. And uh, attacks on the media have escalated under President Duterte, but even prior, the Philippines has long been one of the most dangerous countries in the world for journalists. The country has also one of the highest impunity rates in the world, with no one being held accountable in more than 80% of journalist murders over the last 10 years. Uh, earlier this week, uh, a number of us met with Maria Reza, uh, an investigative journalist and Filipina who is the founder of the online news site, Rappler. She won the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize for her courageous reporting about abuses of power, uses of violence, and authoritarianism in the Philippines. Ahead of the national elections uh, in the Philippines in May, the Filipino government has stepped up its harassment of both Maria Ressa and Rappler. Um, If confirmed, how will you work to strengthen freedom of expression in the Philippines?
7: U.S. policy toward the Philippines is based on our shared values of rule of law, democracy, freedom of expression. And as we are seeing around the world, there's a rise in authoritarianism, Um, which we need to work together with our like-minded partners in civil society and in government in the Philippines to counter, which is why I was really pleased to see that the Philippines participated in the Summit of Democracy and the year-long commitments that are being made, uh, resulting in uh, another summit coming up at the end of this year. So if confirmed, I would continue the work that our um, colleagues at the embassy are doing to work with all levels of civil society, including and especially journalists, including Maria Reza and other members of the press who are struggling to tell the story so that we can combat disinformation and make sure that the truth is told about what is happening not only in the Philippines but in other democracies around the world.
12: Thank you very much. I have a piece of bipartisan legislation with Senator Graham, the International Press Freedom Act, previously been introduced. We're working with the State Department on it now to make it even better, and I would hope to be able to get support of my colleagues on this committee for having a markup and improve that bill and get it out. The bill would provide resources to the State Department to to amplify our efforts to protect journalists and include a special visa category that would enable threatened journalists to seek safe haven in the United States or other nations. Um, Mr. Nathanson, and, and I suspect questions have been asked about this when I've been out of the room, but congratulations to you. Norway, what a great uh, ally, wo- a nation that's doing so many things right. They're trying to maintain strong energy uh, production uh, so that Europeans can have an energy source nearby that is not uh, Russia, and I applaud them for that. If they if they can do more, I hope you will encourage them to do more. I know President Zelensky has been encouraging them, but but one of the uh, interesting things about Norway is that they've had a tradition of not uh, sending weapons uh, in, into non-NATO countries, uh, and yet they're being such a strong supporter of the global democracy's efforts in Ukraine. Um, they've shipped about 2,000 M72 anti-tank weapons, and that's that uh, recently. That's the latest shipment. The total number is now in excess of 4,000 and the, the, this is a dramatic change in direction from a policy that was in place since the 1950s of not sending arms to non NATO countries that are at war. Um, talk a little bit about your understanding for how Norway is reassessing the relationship with Russia and their role not only with NATO but more broadly for European security as the result of Vladimir Putin's illegal invasion of Ukraine.
6: As you said, Senator, and I appreciate the question, uh, Norway is reassessing its relationship with its neighbor, Russia. They have a 121 mile border uh, in the Arctic with Russia, but the Arctic Council, which Russia is a member of, seven other nations in the Arctic Council have condemned Russia's unprovoked attack in Ukraine. And the Arctic Council is now at a standstill because of this. So Norway, as a leader in the Arctic area, is reassessing its own position with Russia and looking very seriously uh, at the future with Russia. They recently expelled three Russian diplomats. As you said, they have uh, broken a long tradition of Norway by sending arms to Ukraine, as well as financial aid. And if confirmed, I will continue to work with Norway to reassess their attitude and their positions as it relates to Russia.
1: Thank you. Senator Cruz. Thank you, Mr. Chair.
13: Welcome to each of the nominees, congratulations on your nominations. Uh, Ambassador Kennedy, thank you for your willingness to be here, thank you for your service. A few weeks ago, you and I had a very good conversation in my office about the threat that China poses to American national security and indeed global peace. Our efforts to counter China have been institutionalized in a number of frameworks, and in recent years in the Quad with Australia, India, Japan, and the United States. I believe that the Quad is a critical and invaluable strategic asset. I know that our regional partners believe so, as well. On Saturday, Australia and India signed an interim trade deal to reduce dependence on Chinese supply lines. It was rightly hailed on all sides as a major accomplishment of the Quad framework. I'd like to get your views on that issue and the role you envision the Quad playing and Australia within the Quad.
3: Thank you, Senator. Um, it's nice to see you again. Uh, I, I agree that the Quad is an ambitious um, and extremely important uh, diplomatic initiative. I think it's important that it includes um, uh, initiatives that are uh, will benefit the health and prosperity of millions of people in the region. Um, across the board, whether it's delivering vaccines and planning for um, the effects of climate change, uh, as well as securing our supply lines, investing in critical minerals. There are working groups on many, many different areas. So I think that by our four democracies working closely together, um, we will be able to advance the administration's goal of a free and open, secure, prosperous Indo-Pacific. We also have the AUKUS partnership, which is an incredibly important security initiative, which um, is being developed as well. And I think that that um, will also um, help secure the region and um, for years to come.
13: Well, I'm heartened to hear that, Uh, but candidly, I worry that the views you articulated are not shared across the Biden administration. Uh, I've been in particular troubled by reports that the administration is considering imposing CAATSA sanctions on India. As recently as last month, U.S. diplomats have reiterated that the administration is considering imposing those sanctions. I find such talk inexplicable, let alone the possibility of actually following through and sanctioning India. India is the world's largest democracy. They are a key ally. They are in the midst of an historic pivot towards the United States. And the Biden administration seems to be actively working to alienate them and push India towards Russia and China. Ambassador Kennedy, you just said rightly that you consider an important part of your job strengthening the Quad. What effect do you think imposing sanctions on India would have on your efforts to strengthen the Quad, and will they make them more likely or less likely to accomplish your goals?
3: Senator, I'm um, hopefully going to be confirmed as ambassador to Australia, and I honestly uh, I would look forward to learning more about that, but I do not uh, have any information on that today.
13: So you don't have any views on whether the United States sanctioning India would make it harder for the Quad to work together effectively?
3: Um, I would want to study up on that and talk to you about it some more, because I'm not familiar with the instances that you referenced.
13: Well, I, I will say we have all agreed the Quad was a major strategic step forward, and... An alliance between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States is a critical way to press back on China. And if the Biden administration decides instead to treat India as a hostile country subject to sanctions, it would be spectacularly foolish, and it is part and parcel of what has been a consistent pattern, of demonstrating weakness and appeasement to our enemies and alienating our friends. I speak with allies of America across the globe who say over and over again, they don't understand why the Biden administration treats them so badly. And they wonder sometimes ironically, would they be treated better if they behaved as enemies to America? And if you are confirmed, I hope that you serve as a voice of reason in this administration and counsel against the Biden administration sanctioning important allies of America, such as India. Senator Coons.
0: Thank you,
14: Senator Murphy, Senator Romney. Um, <clears throat> great to be with all of you. Um, rather than relitigating, Um, relationships with allies across the current and previous administration with my colleague, uh, I'm going to try and point us in a forward direction, as tempting as that engagement might be. um, For Caroline, for Ms. Kennedy, um, for uh, Mr. Goldberg, uh, Ms. Carlson, Um, great to have all of you in front of us. Uh, Forgive me. Um, I am um, very interested in the next steps uh, in the Indo-Pacific economic framework. Um, It has, I think, the potential to deepen our economic engagement in the Indo-Pacific. The administration has been clear that this framework, as imagined, won't include new market access commitments. Um, Some of our regional partners have expressed disappointment in this, and I'm hoping to work with um, some of my colleagues on this committee to find other ways to uh, make this framework beneficial to U.S. workers and trading partners um, as the nominees to serve as our nation's representatives to Australia, South Korea, and the Philippines, how would each of you work to make the Indo-Pacific economic framework a success with those governments? And then second, if I might, um, all three countries, South Korea, Australia, and the Philippines, have been subject to punitive economic coercion at the hands of the PRC. Uh, I think we have to find a way to help countries. Uh, I was recently in Lithuania uh, with Senator Durbin. Um, Lithuania, um, because of a choice they made has ended up being on the receiving end of economic coercion from China. South Korea, Australia, and the Philippines have as well. Um, would you be willing to work with me and others on this committee as we try and develop other tools in addition to the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework to help our allies and partners stand up to economic bullying? So two-part question, if we could. Ms. Kennedy first. Uh-
3: Thank you, Senator. It's nice to see you. Uh, with regard to the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework, um, the one thing that I know from my time in Japan and I um, have learned uh, in, during this process uh, is that the United States economic engagement is something that the region is is very much eager for. Uh, and so if confirmed, I would work hard to increase our economic engagement um, with Australia. Um, and the Pacific Islands, as well as um, any place else, that my assistance could be uh, helpful. I think that it's a great opportunity. I saw when I was in Japan how uh, much opportunity there is for Americans in the Indo-Pacific. And I think it's something that, um, because it's far away, people don't always realize. But we are active there. And um, there's a great deal of opportunity for the future. I think the Indo-Pacific um, economic framework has a great deal of potential in the digital areas, create high standards and high labor uh, and environmental standards as well. So I think that um, uh, that there's a great deal of anticipation and uh, enthusiasm for this framework, and um, it will be a first step that we can build on going forward.
14: Thank you, Ambassador Kennedy, and um, I appreciate also your recognition of the key role that some of the island states um, in the Pacific can play. Um, there was just a hearing previous uh, this week on the TUNA Treaty. Um, there is... Um, some, some ongoing challenges in terms of COVID and economic pressure on Palau, Kiribati, and others, uh, and would welcome um, your advice and engagement uh, on that work as well. Ambassador Goldberg, great to see you again. Uh, really enjoyed uh, our time together in Colombia, an absolutely uh, critical uh, nation that is about to face a significant Election, and I'm I'm excited. You've been nominated for this uh, very um, central role in our Indo-Pacific strategy. I look forward to your answers to my compound question.
4: Thank you, Senator Coons. Good to see you again. Uh, The Indo-Pacific is, as Ambassador Kennedy mentioned, uh, in search of American leadership on economic issues as much as on military and security issues. So it's a it's a key area that we need to develop. Uh, and Korea, uh, South Korea has uh, some outward-looking programs working with us uh, in the Indo-Pacific, a southern policy uh, started by uh, President Moon that I uh, have little doubt will be continued under President-elect Yoon, uh, and has a lot to offer in the areas of uh, digitalized economy and, and uh infrastructure and the kinds of outward-looking programs that we anticipate with the uh, Indo-Pacific economic framework. On the PRC, uh, clearly we're going to work with friends, partners, allies on supply chains, making all of ourselves uh, less dependent on uh, China. Uh, In the case of uh, the Republic of Korea, uh, there are investments uh, being made here in the United States uh, for electric batteries, for semiconductors. There's a lot we can do in artificial intelligence. Uh, there are all kinds of areas we can work uh, with the ROK uh, to help uh, also limit dependence on, on China. And those are things we need to work on together. And if confirmed, would be very, very anxious to do so.
14: Thank you, Ambassador. Ms. Carlson.
7: Thank you. I guess I would start with the question of what are we doing right in this uh, area. And I think if we look at the Philippines, we're doing a lot right. Uh, we have very vibrant trade and investment relationships going both ways. And if confirmed, I would work to um, strengthen those uh, those relationships. Before the pandemic, the Philippines was one of the fastest-growing economies in the region. There's a great deal of potential. My colleagues have already mentioned a number of the areas. Uh, in, uh, in In uh, high tech and also we have uh, the importance of the supply chains that we'd want to work on the Philippines with, and I think if we look at our um, our values with we are focused on transparency and predictability in the area of economic development, and I think that is our real strength when we compare ourselves and when others compare us to our competitors
14: Mr. Chairman, would you tolerate me asking one more question? Thank you. Uh, Mr. Nathanson, it's great to see you, um, excited you've been nominated for this important relationship with the Kingdom of Norway. Um, they're a, a key a partner, a NATO ally, a long and deep a relationship uh, in no small part because of the significant diaspora community here. Um, I'd just be interested in um, your thoughts on what that relationship looks like now after um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the um, renewed focus on European collective security. How has our defense cooperation um, shifted and how might it further shift, um, including through the Supplementary Defense Cooperation Agreement, um, and anything you care to share about uh, the Nordic nations and their relationships with us, which might shift? Norway has long enjoyed um, active participation in NATO, but their neighbors to the, to the east have so far declined to pursue that. I wondered if you thought that was something um, that might end up being in your bailiwick as our ambassador, if confirmed.
6: Nice to see you again, Senator Koons. Uh, I believe our relationship with Norway because of Russia's actions in the Ukraine has only strengthened it. Norway has announced increased spending for both NATO and its own military defenses. We have encouraged that. If confirmed, I would work with Norway and our military leaders to make sure uh, that they are strong and that the northern border, which borders Russia in the Arctic, which they call the high north, is even stronger than it is today. Norway is very concerned about this. They continue to be very focused on it. And I think, hopefully, they will work with their neighbors to be more aware. In recent exercises where over 30,000 American and Troops from 27 other countries participated in the Arctic. Both Finland and Sweden also participated. I think this was an excellent sign, and I think we can see Norway working with its neighbors in Finland and Sweden and Denmark and Iceland to even work more together in military defenses of the Nordic nations.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Thanks, Senator Kuntz. Um, I just have a few uh, uh, additional questions. I'd be happy to entertain a short second round before uh, we let you all go. We have one more vote pending. Um, uh, Ms. Carlson, wanted to drill down a little bit more um, on this tension we have with the Philippines. You've talked um, appropriately about the scope of our defense and security partnership. We see them as a key friend and ally as we seek to uh, address. China's designs to expand their influence in the region, but uh, listen, we can't we can't look the other way when reportedly up to twenty thousand or more people have died since President Duterte came to office. Many of them outside of any formal legal process. Um, this is a stunning turn of events in the Philippines. I, I, I tend to think that at this moment in time, when we see this war being waged on democracy around the world, we should err on the side of human rights um, and democracy when we have a conflict between security and, uh, and, uh, and rule of law. And what I have found in my brief time on this committee is that um, you know, oftentimes ambassadors who are charged with maintaining a good relationship with the home country are often not on the leading edge of recommending policies that will get tougher, that may change the nature of our relationship as a means to send a message about how much we value human rights, the rule of law, and democracy. And so you talked about your willingness to step up and uh, assert our interests when it comes to protecting the rights of human beings in the Philippines, but what are the tools that are at your disposal? Is it enough to just uh, occasionally raise issues in private meetings? Um, what else um, can, a, can a good, thoughtful, capable ambassador do? Um, what tools do you have? What tools do you need in order to you do more than just raise objections?
7: Thank you very much. Um, I will commit here to say it's more than just a willingness. You have my commitment that if confirmed, I will raise those tough issues that you just mentioned. Human rights, respect for human rights, is fundamental to the US-Philippine relationship. We have ongoing conversations all the time about these hard questions. Friends, partners, allies know how to have those tough conversations. We don't always see the results that we want, but we continue to have the conversations. Some of the tools that we have in our foreign policy toolkit are, for example, Leahy sanctions. We make sure that we do not give any assistance to um, any bodies, any foreign, uh, any um, police or military uh, entities that engage in gross violations of human rights. That's one tool that we have. With our, um, any time that we exp- export uh, arms, we make sure that none of those. Uh, firearms go to entities that have violated human rights. So we continue to actively monitor human rights abuses that, and have those difficult conversations with all sectors of the government. At the same time, we work in close concert with civil society organizations. Senator Coons just mentioned, I believe, the uh, conversation with, uh, or I'm sorry, somebody did, with our uh, uh, visiting, um, with the visiting journalist Maria Reza from the Philippines. And if confirmed, I would continue to have those conversations across the uh, civil society uh, bodies and with the government and use every tool at our disposal to make sure that as friends and partners, we continue together to promote our shared values.
0: I appreciate that answer. It's a strong one. Um, And I know these decisions are uh, sort of above your level of responsibility. But for the record, um, we don't have a very good record of um, refraining from security sales and arms sales to countries with pretty miserable records on human rights, whether it be the UAE, the Saudis, the Egyptians. Um, I I think right now we have that balance incorrect. Um, I look forward to working with you on this. Um, One last question for you, Uh, Mr. Goldberg, you, you know how to really Remarkable diplomatic career, um, this is going to be your third posting as an ambassador you 've served as a charge in a number of um, places um, we 're having a really hard time confirming ambassadors here in fact it 's um, stunning uh, how difficult it is to get uh, career public servants uh, in ambassadorial posts and It seems to be many of my colleagues are pretty blase about the effects of that the impact of it and I can understand that to an extent because our chargés are remarkable. Um, they, they do great work. Um, but it strikes me that there is a big difference uh, between having an ambassador and having a chargé. And you have sort of seen that difference. Um, and so I'd just love to get your candid thoughts before the committee as to you know, why it's important to have um, ambassadors in key countries and what the difference is between that and having a chargé.
4: I very much appreciate the the chance to do so, Senator Murphy. Uh, Having a a career or non-career ambassador confirmed uh, by this body, uh, nominated by the president, brings a prestige and authority uh, that a charge cannot really uh, fully have. I was a non-confirmed chief of mission in Kosovo many years ago when it was being administered by the United Nations. And because of the United States uh, image in Kosovo, it uh, brought a great deal of authority. But still, uh, when you're dealing with other parts of our government, as much as the government uh, to which you are accredited, uh, you don't have the same voice uh, and the same uh, kind of authority to speak uh, about issues. Uh, we all are, have been nominated by uh, President Biden uh, for these jobs. Uh, we're looking to you uh, for confirmation. Uh, and uh, that, that in and of itself is an important indicator to a, another government. Uh, access is another issue. Uh, there are a lot of foreign governments that don't want to necessarily meet at a very high level uh, with charges. Uh, and so that's that's an important point as well. So uh, I do believe we need our ambassadors uh, in place. Uh, we need them to do their work uh, and to carry out the business uh, of our foreign policy. Thank you very much. Thank you all.
0: Senator Romney. Good. Uh, well, thank you all for your testimony today. We look forward to um, getting you on the job as quickly as possible. We're going to keep the hearing record open until five o'clock tomorrow uh, for additional questions for the record. And with that, this hearing stands adjourned.